It was never safe for me to go back to work. I told myself, I'm not going to work. We need to take charge a little bit. Uh, companies are just say, they're trying to take our personal lives. Tell us a little bit about that story, because I know that that particular moment in your life really changed everything for you going forward. I said, I'm going to make it doing this. Well, I'm going to die. You know, like I got two options. Who says tech can't be human? What is going on, everyone? Welcome back to the show. Glad to be back again. Recently, I had a crazy but awesome conversation with our guests. Our guest was telling me about being a CISO, getting burnt out, and we had a conversation about getting that flame back, feeling re-energized to enter back into the world of cybersecurity. Our guest this episode is Jack Rorig. Jack is a technology evangelist at Uptix and also serves as a VC and advisor for companies. Jack, welcome to the podcast. Happy to be here. And uh, crazy conversation with Jack is something that I've heard quite a bit. <laughs> Awesome. Well, I'm excited. I'm, I, I love crazy. Crazy is good for me. Jack, first of all, welcome to the show. But one thing I wanted to ask you about is obviously you had a stint as a CISO and tell us a little bit about that story, because I know that that particular moment in your life really changed everything for you going forward. So tell us a little bit of the story about you being a CISO. So, yeah, everybody asks me, you know, or has asked me in the past, how do I become a CISO? A lot of people really want to be CISO. So, uh, my particular path was pretty, pretty bizarre, but I, I remember uh, discussing with a, um, during a job interview, 30 minute portion of a job interview with a very senior name in security. Uh, I won't mention his, his actual name, but let's call him Frankie. Cause I always use Frankie as like my name, you know, the fake name. Hey, it's Frankie. Yeah. So, I use Steve. Yeah, that's Steve so, is my fake Steve? name. Steve. <laughs> yeah. Steve. He's got like Steve. Right. Steve. So anyways, uh, my boy Frankie, uh, so this, this, uh, Frank, uh, calls me up and we just start shooting the shit. We're like just talking about whatever, you know, reminiscing about the past. After about 40 minutes, 30 to 45 minutes, he said, okay, Jack, here's the thing. There's two kinds of people in this world. There are those that are born with this and there are those that aren't. Uh, you were born with it. Now, I disagree with that mentality of thinking it's, it can lead to a lot of problems. But mm -hmm. there's something that he said that was right about that, right? Like, there's just so something in my blood that is security. And I've always known what I was going to do when I, when I was in my professional career. I, start, I started it at 15 years old, dropping out of school and working full time for the world's first uh, internet data privacy company. Um, mm -hmm. that company, you know, eventually successfully sold. I worked at a couple other companies, dot com bubble burst. And I was like, that's the end of technology. It's 2001. Rest <laughs> in peace. Right. And I went to, yeah. So I went to beauty school. Um, and I, I lasted two months in beauty school. I mean, I cut my own hair. It's not that bad, right? Look at hey, that line's pretty fresh. bad. I don't know. I like it. Yeah. All right, good. Thanks, guys. I'll pay you later. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, after the beauty school thing, I ended up going back to college, kicking my career back off. 
And uh, I became a CISO uh, and maintained, I was a CISO for about 10 years. So yeah, I've, I have a lot of experience as a CISO. Um, I actually retired at multiple points in, in my career. And the, the most recent time, because it's <laughs> well, the most recent time I ended up in the hospital uh, mm. with multiple organ failure, it was like it's such a stressful job. And uh, I, so I decided to start my own business. Um, and uh, yeah, it was, um, it, it's, it's definitely, a, it can be a fun job, but uh, a lot of CSOs end up burning themselves out. I, I know a lot of people who have been in the same situation that I was with ending up in the hospital because of, of work-related stress and lack of vitamin D. That is nothing to play with, especially things like organ failure, because health is wealth at the end of the day. What were the things that you were doing that made you end up in the hospital? Like, was it the amount of work that you were doing? Was it the type of work, the tasks? Was it something else? I would work and then I'd just pass out while working. A lot of times with like my head on the keyboard, with like, you know, literally like in the cartoons, you know, where there's like a letter just going across the screen over mm-hmm. and over again, being typed by my nose. Uh, and I'd wake up and I'd start working again. And I started to, you know, started to feel really terrible. My pancreas, my liver, my, one of my kidneys and my gallbladder were all having severe issues. Um, so it, it was, um, kind of a, a wake up for me. And a few months later, I moved to Mexico for three months. So what happened in Mexico and then what brought you back into the fold? One of the problems that I had when I was sick is that I would get like a, a cut. A wound, you know, and it wouldn't heal very quickly because of, uh, I guess maybe it's a vitamin D deficiency thing. I don't know, but I got to Mexico and I'm like out in the sun and, you know, getting out there, just experiencing life. And I, like all my stuff heals like that. And I'm like feeling good. Got Yeah. And so a week passes and she's like packing up. Why aren't you going to pack? And I'm like, nah, I'm going to stay. She's like, what? I'm like, I'm going to stay. And so I just like, I, I, it was weird. I learned Spanish. All of my friends were Mexican. Uh, I had been working while I was down there, working on starting a, a business, JCR Security, um, you know, named after myself because uh, I'm very. I couldn't think of anything. Uh, JCR Security. That sounds cool. Um, so it, you know, and I picked up like I was getting a ton of uh, a ton of work. June rolled around. Had I had my my birthday in June, and then. Um, I said, I need to get home. Like I haven't, my house is probably burned to the ground. You know, no one's checked on it. And so what do I do? I fly into San Francisco and I get a hotel room in San Francisco. Mm. (laughs) I live like 20 minutes away from San Francisco. I get a hotel room in San Francisco and meet up with some, uh, some startup founders from Tel Aviv who I was, I was advising. I, I like flew home, but was afraid to go home. So finally I did. And then I just kind of went full force into, uh, building the business, uh, getting everything, you know, trying to obtain contracts, um, you know, gig work, that kind of stuff, figuring out what portfolio of services to offer, um, establishing partnerships with vendors and, and with, uh, people in the industry with whom I'm very close who could, you know, co-work on things with me. You know, like, uh, if I need to do a HIPAA assessment, for example, I can, uh, hit up. Uh, Chris, you know, over here, and he's, he's the guy who would work on the HIPAA assessment with me with, you know, be the customer facing person for the client. I, I did that from June until Elias. Elias called me in September. 
how did you know you were finished with the burnout? Because I would imagine with something like your health being on the line, you probably are a little bit more sensitive to work mm -hmm. and things like that. And it's crazy. You're talking about your, your wounds healing faster. You're like Superman all of a sudden. So what was that point or even that event that happened that made you think, yeah, I could get back to work? Well, I never, it was never safe for me to go back to work. I told myself, I'm not going to work. Mm. Like I said, I'm going to make my, uh, here's it's what I've been doing is I've been in private equity investing um, pretty extensively. Uh, I advise a, a lot of startup companies and uh, it, at the uh, ideation stage too is when I try to get in, which is a, a very difficult time to advise. There's a lot more hours that are involved. That's not work to me for some reason. It's just not. And uh, I said, I'm going to make it doing this. Mm. Well, I'm going to die. You know, like I got two options. I'm like, I'm, I'm, I, I have missed opportunities so many times in my past because of my risk aversion. As many CISOs are very risk averse, right? And I right. said, screw it. I'm, I'm gonna, you know, like all of the stuff happened, even though I was so risk averse and all that, I still ended up miserable, right? So I said, I'm gonna do my way. When I was doing the work, I was doing work out of Mexico. I didn't realize I was working. I was just doing it for fun. Um, like, you know, uh, there's Mike Van Orden. He's the CEO of Emanate Security. They, he does, um, it's like a human risk, uh, management startup. And he would, he would send me some docs and like I jump on a zoom with him and I'd be on the zoom for like four hours. Right. So that's like that, not even working. Um, what I think what was stressful about the CISO job was the fact that I was often asked to do things that I didn't agree with ethically. Like what? If you can mention. There have been um, people who have asked me to sign my name to customer notifications, for example. Like, um, not necessarily a public statement, but a statement that could go out to like 20 customers that was um, not correct, not true, right? Yeah. And I I mean, I flat out told them no. Um, I'm kind of, I got to the point in my career where I understood the, especially the data privacy regulations, right? Um, but all the statute, statutory scope of, of what I do and, and all of the, um, like the personal liability, I, it, it became so easy to enact change as a CISO, you know, when like I didn't have to beg and I could just be like, okay, if you want to do this, you just need to sign this form. You know? And they're like, what's that? I said, that's an officer override form. It puts your personal assets on the line in case the decision that you've made is, is, uh, cost the company and money and affects the customers. And he's like, what? I'm like, yeah, I mean, if you believe if you want this so badly, you know, bet your house on it. Like that, that's the kind of stuff I would do at my job. And, um, when I quit, turn it in, I, I remember I went to HR and I gave him a six month notice and I said, triple my salary because it, like the, we had some new management. I said, triple my salary or I'm leaving in six months. Six months later to the day I left for triple the salary at somewhere else. <laughs> Intense. You're, you're, I mean, first of all, your story, I'm sure resonates with a lot of leaders out there. Being a CISO and for the most part is a thankless job. And in fact, you get a lot of dumpster fires that you have to deal with on a day to day basis. You talked a little bit about your risk aversion, right? Yeah. Starting off, but it, it does seem like you're, you've pushed into that, right? You're much more risk tolerant. How did that transition happen for you? How did you go from being like super risk averse to being a little bit more risky in your behavior? Yeah, it was the, when I ended up in the hospital, really, I think there were all these series of events that had happened in a short period of time. And then it manifested me like at the end, I'm in the hospital, um, like dissatisfied with, with not just my job, but 
the career itself, uh, empathizing with all my buddies that were CISOs. And I mean, come on, we're, these guys make a ton of money and like this life ain't too hard for a CISO. I'm not, it's not <laughs> like they're struggling, but, uh, I, I could just see so many people who were, they had this need to prove to themselves that they were good. Like everybody had, everybody has imposter syndrome. Mm-hmm. Um, everybody's always self, full of self doubt. Almost like companies were hiring CISOs just so that they could acquire customers. Um, but they didn't want to actually build a security program to protect the customer's data. And hey, let's be real here. Uh, this is a big deal. Um, things, things are starting to get crazy with the breaches. There's a lot of stuff online. There's a lot of data out there. Uh, I, I do, I used to do OSINT background checks, uh, as part of a research project that I established when, uh, COVID hit. And I've some of the test subjects, the, you know, beta testers, the things that I've been able to find on them would be like, just end their career. Like right there, mm. or it could be used to extort them for tons of money. Context is irrelevant in these situations, right? So if, you know, and the way I found most of this information was using or starting with uh, breach records, because uh, when a web- website is breached and data is leaked, it kind of becomes this codified, unchangeable, um, you know, written in stone archive of something that existed on the internet. You don't have a right to be forgotten from my date, from my, uh, from my data breach, uh, array. It's in my, in my other office. It's 34 billion rows. So when I see CISOs being hired and they're just like, yeah, just, you know, like totally lie about your SOC compliance. Like just mm-hmm. everything lie about it. It's, I mean, to mislead the, the public like that and to, to subvert the, it's just, it kind of sucks because data privacy really is an important thing. We have some news to share with you, a member of the Hacker Valley Media family. As of 2023, we became a full-time independent cybersecurity media company, and we're committed to bringing you the most powerful, thought-provoking stories in the field of cybersecurity. And we learned we can't do it alone. We'd love to invite you to our exclusive Patreon community, where we host a monthly mastermind where you can meet like-minded individuals in the field of cybersecurity that are trying to be more creative and be the best version of themselves that they can be. We would love if you took a second and visited patreon.com forward slash Hacker Valley Studio, and we'll see you in the mastermind. When I first kicked off the podcast, I mentioned that we had a crazy conversation and I described it as crazy because of how genuine, you know, genuine you are. I would kind of consider you as a person that's a straight shooter, someone that says what they mean, mean what they say. In security, especially, I feel like we have to be a little bit more buttoned up we have to really make sure that things aren't taken out of context because it could lead to a breach. It could lead to being fired even. And I got to say, I respect the heck out of you for being such a straight shooter. And I strive to be like that myself, be a little bit more open, a little bit more honest each and every day. Another thing that we have in common is retirement. I imagined myself as someone who's going to retire at some point be at the beach, probably in Mexico like you. And at some point, I imagine myself saying, all right, I'm done just sitting here on the beach. I'm ready to get back to it. Uh, but for you, you know, you you chose to go to Upticks. As you learn more, as you spoke to Elias, what was that shiny coin, that thing that made you say, all right, let's play ball? So this is weird. I'm, I'm obsessed with XDR. I, like I... 
So I, I started using XDR at Turnitin at 2017. I was um, using Threat Stack at the time. I used Evident for like a quick minute, and then they, you know, did their merger act, and I went to and was using Threat Stack, and I was like, this is so cool. Circa 2017 Threat Stack was just like, we're just going to take all your system calls and drop them in a relational database that you can query. In real time, like, uh, you know, it's like uh, across your entire SQL infrastructure. It's like, how much does your data infrastructure cost in you, right? Like, well, apparently it was a lot because they don't do that anymore. Um, but it, it was this tool that I could use to be omniscient, right? So like I saw everything that was going on. Um, if somebody ran sudo on a production machine, I saw it. It's also this great tool that can be used by organizations outside of security. DevOps teams can use XDR to, um, you know, to in incident, uh, when there's an incident, they can use it to like, imagine if you have a database, you could just query with all your production, uh, stuff going on, right? Like, that's great. It's super easy to troubleshoot an incident. Um, developers can use it because it, it creates an abstraction. Maybe you have an RBAC layer on top of it and the developers can, can now go log in and, and observe how a production asset is behaving with their code on it rather than having to get full spectrum access to the machine or like a login or whatever. Now we've got an abstracted view that even has a freaking UI, right? Um, you could replace new relic with a, with a decent XDR. And there's $2 million off your annual budget, mid-market company. And then you could take a uh, Splunk. <laughs> we don't need that, you know, right? Who needs a SIM when you got a, an XDR that's got a good log there? Okay, screw the SIM. So now you're saving another $2 million, right? Mm -hmm. it's, it's, uh, it's this powerful thing. So Elias calls me up. I think it was September because I, I was in Austin. I was speaking at the Cobalt PTAS exchange. I'm in my hotel room and I get a call from uh, Elias and he says, um, something like, do you want to be our, our CISO? And I said, nah, I, I ain't working anymore. <laughs> like I was just like, God, I, I love Elias. Like I've worked with Elias at Orca. Um, cause I was the tech, tech technical advisor at Orca. It, and then he's like, well, you know, he's Elias. He's very kind. Right. And, it, and so he starts, uh, you know, we, we start talking and I can't remember how he got me to take a look at what Optics was doing, but he told me something or he, you know, said to look into something. And I remember, uh, looking into it and I was like, <laughs> because whenever I, I mean, and I'm like, how did I not know this like thing existed? And so I started asking people, you know, what does uptakes do? And everybody's like, oh, it's an EDR. It's a, you know, corporate endpoint detection system. And if you look at the customer list, I'm like, wait a minute, what? These are customers that have high technical standards of excellence. Um, so anyways, I called Elias back and I said, I've seen the light. Elias, <laughs> and I am your evangelist, whether I like it or not. Uh, hey. I'm not just some dude that they pay to say that. The minute I lose faith in this company, I'm gone. The minute. And I put my money where my mouth is. I'm that guy, right? And I'm here and I'm gung-ho because uh, I, I can see what Uptix is doing, and it, it blows my freaking mind. The, uh, the power of the XDR, the technology, it's like... I mean, 1,400 detection rules out of the box, I think, for XDR. They got an MDR platform that, they're, that they've rolled out. Um, so when I joined at Uptix, they just, they're like, okay, so here's the deal. We're going to give it away for free for a year. And I'm like, mm -hmm. what? They were doing this, this secret menu promotion. 
I'm just um, I'm just a technology technologist, lifelong security uh, insane person who um, was obsessed with XDR, and uh, I know I know the technology pretty well. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, the, I'm I'm the uptix evangelist, um, who I think is probably one of the more authentic evangelists that are out there. I love it. One thing that kind of resonated throughout this entire conversation is uh, one of the words that you talked about is uh, being omniscient, right? Knowing everything that you can. It seemed like when you were going through your burnout stage, there were a lot of things that were missing, right? You, you felt like you were doing the right things, but something was just off. You had to reset. You found a little bit more of who you were as a person. But then when you came back and you found upticks, you found something that you were interested in. You found something that you could stand for. And you also looked at upticks as the way that other folks can understand themselves from a technical perspective. What would you say is that one piece of advice that you would have for people that want to take stock of who they are as a person and even the technology and the risk that they're facing on a day-to-day basis in their organization? Walk away. You know, um, don't let your cust- your company hold you hostage. In the state of California, you have a right to decline an arbitration agreement in an employee contract. Yet every employee contract I've, I've been presented with has had an arbitration mandate in it for dispute resolution. Well, I have a right to tell them to rewrite that contract and I can't be retaliated against. Do that. Yeah, do that, right? We need to take charge a little bit. Uh, companies are just say, they're trying to take our personal lives. It, it's a, it's ridiculous. The, I've requesting permission to invest in, in private equity. Does somebody request permission uh, to have a 401k rollover from their past job? Like what's the difference between PE and public equity? But walk away, you know, you're, especially if you're working in technology, you're in demand. I don't care who you are. You are, you're in demand uh, and you can go and get another job. Jack, that is powerful. And I would say to anyone out there that feels as though they have golden handcuffs, really think twice and test how strong the golden handcuffs really are. Because like Jack is saying, there's a lot more to life than just working all the time. Jack, we want to say thank you so much for spending some time out of your day to jump on the podcast with us. Also a big shout out to Upticks. They're a great partner and also a sponsor of this podcast. For more information on both Jack and Upticks, check out the show notes below. And with that, we'll see everyone next time. Thanks, guys.